trying to give an intro to this podcast with Jason Sauer and I feel like I'm stumbling over my words. So this is about take three. You know what? I'm going to keep it short and simple. This story is raw. It's honest, it's humble, and it's incredibly open because that's who Jason is. He's lived a tough life. Yes, he's experienced some incredibly difficult moments in his life. Yes, but he has put himself back on the path to recovery and ultimately to transforming into an incredible winter sport champion that he is today in the sports of bobsleigh and skeleton. This podcast, I I dug deep and, and I admit that maybe I could have dug a bit too deep in a few places, but I felt like I needed to understand the depths of Jason's story so that I could understand the highs and the take homes for all of us here today listening. The take home that I get from this podcast is that sport can heal because if you're in a dark place but you love something enough, say it's your running, say it's your skiing or bobsleigh or skeleton and you really love that, then get out there and do it because it's going to make you feel a whole lot better about yourself and life in general. So maybe, maybe I'm, yeah, maybe we don't run away from things. Maybe sport really can be that thing that empowers us to get back on our feet and Maybe it's as simple as that. I'm taking that away from this podcast and I hope that you're going to take that away as well because, yeah, stay tuned and probably put the kids to bed for this one because there's a few few very deep adult conversations in here. But I hope that you really enjoy my conversation with Jason Sauer. conversation with you today and to finally actually get to the point where we're having our conversation because last time I think I spoke to you you were lying in a hospital bed recovering from more surgery can you tell us about that one oh it's good to be speaking with you too honey um yeah last time we chatted I'd had um so I had osseo integration um uh just um 13 14 months ago and I'd, but I'd had which is which is like titanium rods going into my femurs and then they uh protrude out the ends and then I can attach my prosthetic legs to those um but it had some residual nerve pain that just wasn't quitting um so last time we spoke I was just recovering from uh bilateral uh neurectomies where they kind of severed the nerves that go down to the distal ends that were where, where I was getting the discomfort from an outsider's perspective listening to that it sounds absolutely horrendous uh, what led you to this place where you wanted to go down the lines of osteointegrative surgery and what are you trying to achieve out of that? Um, well, I was curious about the OI probably from about a year uh, post-amputation and then um, I guess my – I'd had some prosthetic sockets made here in Australia and, and none of them – none of the ones that were made for me here in Australia fit very well. Uh, they're pretty painful to wear. I could, you know, stay in them maybe 30, 40 minutes before it got excruciating. Mm. Uh, and then I had the good fortune um, uh, after my first season skiing um, in the States and a, a, a company in at Oklahoma, um, a hangar clinic in Oklahoma. Um, they ran a boot camp for double above knee amputees, just like a three-day event. So get together, practice walking, exchange ideas. Um and they were like, oh, if you come a few, you want to come a few days early, maybe we can make you some training legs. Um, so they made me some sockets that were reasonably comfortable. 
Um, but even wearing prosthetic sockets, even the, especially as a double above knee amputee, um, two prosthetic sockets and they come right up into the groin and around the butt area. They're, um, they're, for above knee sockets, I think they're formally called ischium containment sockets. So the um, so the the socket comes right up to the base of the ischium tuberosity, like where you'd uh, the part of the body you sit on on a bike seat. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're yeah they're reasonably uncomfortable to wear even when they fit well. Um, and, and I spend in between ski seasons. I live like I live in Queensland um, at time. Yeah, well I'm in Queensland, so it's pretty warm. And then uh, so I you know if if I was if I'm in Queensland in December. Um, Wearing sockets, I'd put my legs on. I'd break sweat by the time I was assembled, and then um, uh, moisture in the sockets was pretty. And and it wouldn't have to be very active before I'd like sweat a leg off. Um, wow! Yeah. yeah, it's just not something that I think is easy for us to get our heads around. But having worked at the Australian Institute of Sport with a lot of the Paralympians in the lead up to the London Olympics, like these were real challenges for for these athletes. So, you know, whether whether athletes such as myself, you know, just pull on the shoes and head out for a run, you've got a number of very very different challenges to to I guess step up to. So, what are you? Jason, you know, obviously I haven't painted a picture about, you know, how how we've got to the place where you're an, a double amputee above knee. But I'm interested to know, like, what are the goals? What are the aspirations for Jason? Like, where where are you trying to head with your sport now? Oh, um, that's a really good question. And one that I probably should ask myself and maybe should have asked <laughs> myself before we started chatting. <laughs> but... Um, uh, I started ski racing um, not long after I uh, not long after I started skiing. Actually, like um, actually, well, to go back a step further, well, I wasn't coping so well with my amputations. The, f- the first year post amputations, I was kind of sulking and uh, abusing substances, and, um, and then I had the opportunity to go to Park City to learn how to drive bobsled. And um, so I went out and did. I got clean and sober again, and went went out and did that. And it who was, gave you uh, that opportunity to go out and do the bobsleigh if you were already in that place where you weren't coping? Was that something that was given? The opportunity was given to you to help you reach a better place mentally, or it was a combination of two, um, of the. I think it was called the IBSF at the time, like international. Bobsled and Paral- uh, International Bobsled and Skeleton Federation. I think maybe now they trade as the, or now they're called the IFBTT. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, so it's the international governing body for, for bobsled and skeleton. They were hosting a a week of um, um, it was introduction to driving um, for disabled athletes. Um, there'd been a little bit of parabob already going on. I think there's some guys in Canada and some guys in the states that were doing it, but it was all pretty informal. Um, and this was a, this, this was the first time the international governing body uh, had got involved, and they hosted a driving school. And then another chap, a friend of mine, um, he's actually a Facebook friend. I'd never met him. Um, oh, I hadn't met him at the time. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Um, David Nichols, he's an incomplete quadriplegic uh, and, and quite a uh, quite an enthusiastic bobsled pilot. 
Um, and, he, and I think he's been quite instrumental in uh, in growing the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I know. So he he gave me the opportunity to stay at his home, um, and and he'd invited me out to drive bobsled a few times. Um, so what was I, that first experience like? Like I look at those bobsled guys, and I just have absolutely no idea how you do it. And then skeletons, a whole other world again. It is like another skeleton um, to go flying down <laughs> down those runs headfirst. It just I don't understand. But what was that like? A skeleton nearly scared the poop out of me. <laughs> I, um, <laughs> I think when I did a, a I had a five runs from junior start at Utah Olympic Park on uh, on a skeleton, um, and uh, for for an able bodied person. Uh, on a skeleton, your shoulders and knees um, pretty much hit the four corners of the skeleton, mm-hmm. you know, of the, of the skeleton sled as a rectangle. And then obviously for an able-bodied person, their calves and feet hang over the end of the sled and yeah. create, and it creates quite a bit of weight at the end. And also on a, on a skeleton sled, on the runners, there's, there's a groove in, only in the back half of the runners that, that offer direction. The front half of the runners are quite smooth. Right. Uh, so, so for myself, I didn't have that weight, that extra weight behind me. So there wasn't. So I had uh, the the first run down. Um, I was probably, you know, I think I might have. I'd be lucky to have been a week clean and sober. Um, and I was about a year post injury, maybe possibly to the day. I think for that first uh, skeleton run. And it was exhilarating. It was just like, oh my god, like life can be fun post injury. And uh, <laughs> was know, that literally and, uh, that turning point for you, where where you just realised, look, there was a whole world of opportunity out there for you, or did it take a little bit longer than that to to find that clean and narrow pathway? No, nah, that, that whole that that week turned me around. There was a bunch of men and women um, who were already further post injury than myself. Um, there was a, a, a bunch of, there was a few guys, uh, guys and girls um, from uh, Great Britain, uh, you know, from the English military. And um, so it was, it was nice to see people. It was nice to spend time with people who were further post-injury than myself and had a bit more self-acceptance going on. Mm. Um, and then so to spend time with them and then to actually experience that life can still be fun and exhilarating post-injury. It was, it, the, so the whole week was a turnaround, and then by my um my fifth run on the bobsled, uh my sorry my fifth run on the skeleton, coming into curve fourteen, at Utah Olympic Park, um and then midway through curve fourteen I spun like I spun one hundred and eighty degrees, and um and my my stump ends were still a little sensitive. I was only a year post injury, and, and even though I was doing near sixty miles an hour. But uh, and it was like, and even though it's all happening very fast, yeah, the, the thoughts yeah. were the thoughts were coming quick. And it's like, oh my god, I don't want to bang my stump ends into the wall, into the ice wall at sixty, you know, at sixty oh. miles an hour. And, um, and it came one of the out least, of that. least of your concerns, isn't it? Like, yeah, uh, I was pretty happy to take the hit on the helmet, and then um, and then I didn't. Um, so and then I was saying to one of the you know, then when I got down to the to the finish dock and, and talking to one of the organisers, it was like, oh my god, it's like. Um, so just those five runs of skeleton were like, oh, well, life can be fun. I do want to live, and you know, and then um, and then that fifth run was, oh, I, I don't want to die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so wow. That was, was quite a turnaround. So I need to probably go back a step for those of our listeners who haven't yet story, but you talk really candidly and openly about substance abuse 
which I find really fascinating because I've my experiences with mental health and talking about mental health is that it's not frequently discussed and it is something that's still a bit of a taboo topic. So can we go back a step and talk about what it was that actually led you to being uh, a double amputee above knee and, yeah, paint, paint that picture for our listeners today? Um, well, I'm the second best sword fighter in my hometown. Meaning? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Oh, uh, no, I, uh, I was only going I had a heroin overdose on uh, Christmas Day of 2010. Um, I'd been actually well prior to that. I'd been kind of clean and sober for. <coughs> I'd been clean and sober for a length of time, like just over six years, and then I'd, I'd, I'd relapsed when I was in Canada, and then um, and that relapse lasted about ten months. So it was it was rather horrific. Mm. Um, and, and at that stage, I probably had one of the biggest habits of my life, and um, and then I got it was probably the October. I think, you know, just before Halloween, um, I got clean and sober again, but I was disgruntled and unhappy about it. And then Christmas Day, I um, I went and pulled a, a old rat bag friend of mine out of bed, and we and we went and got on. And I had, um, and I guess I had a I had a huge appetite, but no tolerance, you know. And um, mm. so I had a shot during the day, Christmas Day, and I was I was quite sedated, or whatever. And then um, the um, just before midnight on Christmas night. I um I, I I had another shot and and that was to be the last thing I did standing on my own two feet um it, that put me down I was I was um oh, I guess I overdosed I guess is the short answer but yeah. I was unconscious I was unconscious for fourteen hours and then um, I, I came to about two o'clock in the afternoon Boxing Day um, and scurried to a phone handset on the floor I was. Uh, when I came to, I was in a seated position with my legs out in front of me, uh, slumped against the kitchen bench, uh, kitchen cupboards, kind of. Uh, um, I'd banged my head on the way down, I think. Or, um, yeah, and I, I called emergency services and, and I went back on the nod and then I woke up to, to emergency services coming to pick me up. Wow. But I was a little bit of dismay had set in already because I realized in that short time that my you know my legs weren't working Mm. I I didn't really know what was going on how hard is it for you to talk about this now I mean so we're seven years post-surgery um that's okay you know it's it's kind of it's just a matter of fact really you know it's like if I'm at seven o'clock in the morning and the person behind me in the lineup at Starbucks introduces themselves with how do you lose your legs it's like it's 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 kind of not ideal to discuss, but when if I think it's going to be helpful or if it's somebody I've already met, it's like it's it's you know, no, get, I get a little bored with my story, I guess at times. But yeah, yeah, I, but but yeah, if I think it's right. if I think it's going to be helpful in any in any way, it's um, like emotionally, I'm kind of wouldn't say detached because it's still, but I'm reasonably emotionally unaffected to discuss it these days. I really hear what you say about being bored with your story. I mean, I, through my work and my own experiences, I realised that, you know, all of us have stories. All of us have some form of demon in the closet that we sort of try to sort of 
tuck away and forget about but have you reached this place in your life now where you just want to be known for the Jason who is right here right now doing what he's doing and not the Jason who's uh how do I explain it but created from this story do you understand where I'm coming from yeah, I think I think I do, honey. Like it's like because I'm not my past, you know. Yes, it's like my, my past is the past, and um, and I could, you know, it's like a, a day's skiing. I could get asked ten times a day on the chairlift how I lost my legs. Like, you know, sometimes I can't go and do the grocery shopping without some <laughs> curious busybody asking me how I lost my legs. You know, and it's like, dude, I just want to do my grocery shopping and go home. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, and and I definitely would like, and. I had an interview with a um, with a, a local newspaper uh, um, reporter here on the Sunshine Coast, you know, and um, and I thought he was, uh, and I thought the topic of the story was going to be maybe my adaptive skiing, or ski racing, or you know, bobsledding, um, maybe a small section in the sports in the sports section, you know, maybe a small article in the sports section towards the back, and. Um, and he posts it front page, you know, man couldn't stop using drugs till he lost his legs. And oh, it's just like, uh, really? Yeah. Dude, it's, I've got to, um, I feel weird walking into a shop the next day now, you know? Yeah. It's like, um, yeah. Well, I'm interested to know a lot about where you're going and, and some of the more the obstacles that you've overcome to become as good as you are at your sporting career and we'll get to that in a second but I just want to backtrack slightly not to your your dark past I think we all have that and we all need to accept that that is part of who we are but it doesn't dictate who we are um but you did mention earlier that when you first went out to try the bobsleigh and the skeleton for the first time that you were able to come into connection with a number of other people who were further along the pathway of self-acceptance than you were at that place and that moment in time do you feel now that you have reached a place of self-acceptance and an ability to just sit comfortably within your own self yeah for the most part honey like it's um you know being um being a double it's been over six years now and it's it's kind of become normal you know and then um then when i had the osseo integration done then that was so of course uh 13 months ago then it was another body change, you know. I now have these, I now have these uh, rods protruding out of my stump ends. Um, on, on the odd occasion, you know, it's like I might be going up the chairlift and see uh, a snowboarder, a strong snowboarder, who's riding with a similar style that I used to ride with, and you know, I have a little moment within myself of because I miss it, you know. If, mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 um, I miss having my. I miss having knees and ankles and feet. They're 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 pretty handy items. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but there's no, you know, I, I cried over spilt milk for a whole year, you know, and then um, there's no, oh, and I got to a point, you know, where it's like, again, there's enough angry, resentful people already in the world. Do I really want to be one, or do I just want to make the most of what's left and see what I can contribute? I love that. And that's exactly so. what it is about, isn't it? That if we are living in the now, then we are more more likely to be looking at these other opportunities and using yeah using our experiences to be able to help others to not go down the same pathways that and holes that potentially we've both fallen into. And that's certainly what 
what drives me at this place in time is to empower others to live wilder and more authentic to themselves and their lives. Do you, what do you think this experience, the whole experience packaged together from, you know, the moment where you became an amputee through to like a sporting champion that you are today, what has this whole experience taught you about yourself? Oh, that's not a question I've asked myself either. Um, um, What has it taught me about myself? Oh, I I guess that we can do whatever we want, really. You know, it's like despite, um, you know, whether whether it be limb loss or kind of. I think, uh, d- despite despite what's happened to myself, or you know, it's like that that life, you know, life life's still a beautiful thing, and and life's to be enjoyed. You know, I love um, that. I I wholeheartedly want to thank you for saying that because I absolutely believe that life is extraordinary. And it is what we think of it, isn't it? It's it's not just what we do, but it's how we actually go about those daily actions. So is there yeah. one word that would describe you, Jason? Or oh. a catchphrase? <laughs> I've, I don't know, trying to write bio, athlete bios and stuff, I've kind of come at this question a few times. And uh, I, don't, I don't really know that there is. Um, you know? So what would drive, um, what drives you then? What's your motivations to do what you do? Um, and that, that, uh, if I'm really honest with myself, it's like, it's the, the nothing surpasses the joy of helping others, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so, so whether, whether it's, um, talking with other alcoholics and addicts that, that, that are wanting to get clean and sober or whether it's sharing time with newly injured people and and, and sharing adaptive sport with them like that's um, that they are the two most joyous experiences that I get to experience you know like I like racing and I like skiing and I like skiing power with friends on a power you know um, but but really there's no the, the greatest joys are, um, are, are working with other injured people or, or working with other alkies and, you know, alkies and, and addicts. for me to also remind you that the only way I can continue to bring these podcasts to you is through the amazing support of our business Find Your Feet and the community that we represent. Our Find Your Feet store is an outdoor athletic store. We stock a range of products from travel, trail running, outdoor adventures, hiking, you name it, we've probably got it. And we try to bring the most ethical brands to you both in fair trade environments, but right through to environmental support. So our brands, we do believe we stock the best 
Um, we also believe that the products that they make are going to be long lasting and out there on wild adventures with you over many, many years to come. So please uh, continue to support Find Your Feet, www.findyourfeet.com.au. We free express ship all around the country for anything over $100 and we'd really love it if you can join our wild community. Thank you. as a plumber and as I think you said in security when we previously just chatted together do you did you do you think you ever expected to have those like words come out of your mouth um I was still like sporadically involved with uh, uh you know helping others and uh, to achieve sobriety um but really um I was a bit caught up with I was a bit caught up with material gain, you know. It's like I was working two jobs. It was in, it was important to me to have a, a pretty motorbike and a pretty car and uh, money in the bank, you know. Um, so I guess it, to, to some extent material gain was my, was my primary focus. And so those values have changed through this whole experience? Yeah, definitely, honey. Like, you know, it would be... I've... I think I've let go of the idea of being a homeowner, you know. It's like, it would be nice, you know, don't get me wrong, but I don't, there's more important, I don't want to work 40 hours a week in a job that I hate to live somewhere I don't want to live to, and then hand those values on to others. Like, that's not, I, I need to be responsible and I need to be responsible enough to feed and shelter myself, but... Um, the big house, retiring on the big house on the hill with cars and boats. That's not. That's not where it. You know, <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't knock it back if it was to get it. You know, but that's not going to be my. That's not what it's my not life your driver. is driving Yeah. No. I hear no. that. Yeah, and we at the moment actually live in a friend's converted garage setup because I guess a bit the same as you like I'm really driven to just help people and so is my husband and sometimes that you know isn't at this point in time going to bring you a big house and a big car but you know what it, it doesn't matter if you're doing what you absolutely love doing does it Nah, that's right but the, the knowing when and how to give I guess is kind of that's an experience and a the discernment of knowing when and how to give of myself and then, and having said that too, and sometimes, sometimes I fall back into that quite a self-centered mentality. You know, it's like this is my race, this is my proposed race calendar for the year. How the hell am I going to raise funds to do it? Yada yada. And and uh, you know, I definitely I have moments of being quite self-focused. Um, but sometimes but you it, have to be, don't you, to put yourself first and to put those runs on the board so that you have runs to give others. Yeah. Yep. De definitely. I've had the um, had the good fortune uh, the last time I was in Utah. Oh, and the previous, you know, as well. I've spent, I've spent five summers now, um, or North American winters, um, but training and racing out of out of the National Ability Center. Um, I, I found a, a, a non-for-profit organization um, in in Park City, Utah. And, and when I've been there, I had the opportunity to share my story at a multitude of different treatment centers, so drug and alcohol treatment centers. Mm. Um, 
and I don't know how helpful that's been to others, but it was certainly helpful for me, and, and hopefully it's helped somebody. Yeah. But if but if I wasn't there, I wouldn't have been able to do it. <laughs> I actually I wanted to ask that actually. Um, Sharon, I have two questions. The the first one is: Do you think that if this accident hadn't happened to you, you would have reached that place where you were going to reach out and ask for help and to easily get yourself back? Not easily, because nothing's easy in this world. But to get yourself back on that pathway towards recovery, because I find like I personally have come from a place of disordered eating and um, over-exercising and striving for too much all at one time and so burning myself very, very thin, literally, as well as, um, <laughs> <laughs> no pun intended, basically. But yeah. for me, the hardest place or the hardest thing, an obstacle that I had to overcome was actually wanting to get better and wanting to ask for help. So I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that. Oh, I can do, I can relate. It's very you know, it's like from from when from when I needed to change or when I needed help mm. to when I was willing to or and then could like and then I got to a point where I was willing to ask but still not willing to do anything. <laughs> and and then and then I got to but I think I like to think even if I hadn't have lost my legs I still would have got sober again because mm -hmm. I'd I'd spent um uh, I was I was nine years attending regular twelve step meetings and ha having some desire to get clean and sober um, before I obtained a year of continuous sobriety. Mm. Um, and then and prior to the relapse in Canada, I, I did I was clean and sober for six years, and then um, and then the whole time that I was using, I guess uh, relapsing in Canada. Um, the, the thinking for, for some for me and for and I think for somebody like me, once once I consciously take one drink or drug, my thinking changes, mm. you know, um, and because I was pretty joyous about I arrived in Canada five and a half years clean and sober, um, and my sobriety was the most important thing to me, you know, and then and then once I got <laughs> once I, I smoked some weed. And um, and within a week, I was. It's like, no, nah, I'm a stone snowboarder now. This is how I. This is who I am. Mm. <laughs> you know, the the my thinking just reverted that that greatly. And then, but having, but uh, after a little while, there was no joy in that. You know, it's like it, it could attempt. I could attempt to mask emotional pain. Mm. I could uh, uh, attempt to you know attempt to use substance to to relax and try and ignore. Well, yeah, I guess predominantly emotional discomfort. Yeah. Um, but, Do you but, mind uh, me asking what those emotional discomforts are? Because I mean, I think we all have them. You know, even last night I was feeling fragile and unsure about what I was doing and whether I was, I guess getting closer to the goals in which I want to accomplish. For me at the moment, these are predominantly around helping other people and um, creating those opportunities. But I guess there's different ways that we cope with things. So I am kind of curious that what you might have been experiencing emotionally at that time. Um, pr pr prior to the relapse in Canada, it was 
um, I'd been a uh, dishonesty had crept back into my world. Like I was, um, I was in a, um, oh, I guess I was in a live-in committed relationship and I was being dishonest with my partner and dishonest with myself and I was romantically involved with another at the same time. Um, and I couldn't put, I couldn't live with myself doing that as a, as a sober man. So, so I thought, so the desire to smoke some weed and escape from myself returned. Um, but then, but then once I had, then once that relapse progressed, um, and that relationship failed, then I was bogged down, uh, and especially once my thinking had changed and the irrational, the, my thinking had become a lot more irrational due to substance abuse. Um, I was bogged down with the emotional pain of the relationship failing and, um, uh, yeah, and I couldn't, it was just, I'd, I'd put myself in a boat, I had just had this bubble of, 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 um, um, didn't know, I believe in my own, uh, I was going to say believe in my own bullshit and, um, blaming, blaming the relationship breakdown to, on, for my current state, mm-hmm. which, you know. And, and I believe that 100% at the time, whilst I was, you know, I was whilst supporting heroin habit. <laughs> so that that is incredibly deep, and I'm I'm really grateful that you do share that with us. But I'm sure that it, as you work with people, um, helping people to recover from substance abuse, and then getting potentially getting into sport, I think as as a step beyond that that you must also come into people whose stories resonate with your own and vice versa. Is that correct? Oh, definitely. You know, it's like I've met, um, um, I've met another gentleman now who lost his legs to a heroin overdose. I've had, um, uh, some uh, often, well, often, sometimes, sometimes wake to, um, you know, to random Facebook messages. A lady from Florida, um, cold canvas messaged me. Her son had not long overdosed. He was about to have his leg amputated as a result of his overdose. And um, you know, and I got to converse with her and share my experience. Um, and more recently, just this, or only a few days ago, you know, a gentleman contacted me, and his four-year-old daughter was was um, staring down the barrel of having all four limbs amputated due to sepsis. Mm. And um, and I got to converse with him and. And I'm not sure how much comfort or uh, I don't know how helpful I am when I talk to these people that reach out, but it definitely helps me to remain willing to be helpful. Good on And you. hopefully it helps yeah. them too. Yeah. I think there's a lot to be said for just the simple action of saying me too to someone, to to say you're not alone in that experience and... You know, I, I don't know what you're going through, but I can empathise. I think there's a huge amount to be said for that. So Death. I Death. I am interested, Jason, to know what your thoughts are around whether sport can heal people because there are definitely two sides to this argument. We get the school of thought where, you know, say I'm going to use running because running is the, the world that I've worked in for the longest and the one that I understand the most, but... I definitely see people who run to, I want to say, escape from mental health or especially things like depression 
or anxiety or just using it as a coping mechanism. And then you get the other school of thought where rather than running away from things, people are using it to run towards things. And I, I think there's a very dangerous like knife edge ridge in the middle there. And I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that. Mm, I've got a, I have a multitude of thoughts <laughs> on that. You <laughs> know? And, I, I, and I don't think that sport alone would have, um, would have got me out of my, would have got me out of my grief and depression, uh, after limb loss. Um, but it had, it had a significant role, you know, and it's like, and I've had, um, I've met, so I, I, I stalked, uh, or stalked, that's a bad word, I <laughs> uh, introduced, I, I, I tracked down a fella uh, here in Australia, he was um, a seated skier, he had a work accident, he uh, has a spinal cord injury, um, he'd been a world champion skier, um, and, and we've become quite dear friends, Um and we, we often, I guess, have convers- we've often had conversations in regards to faith, skiing, um, faith, skiing, skiing industry, recovery from significant life-changing injuries, um, and you know, and 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 is the skiing just an escapism, or is you know, and and at the end of the generally at the end of the conversation, we we come up with some. Um, <laughs> life's to be enjoyed <laughs> you know <laughs> do, do, we, do we enjoy skiing yes let's ski <laughs> brilliant know? brilliant um, i love that yeah. i've never heard it put so simply so succinctly and something that just makes me want to pull off my shoes right now and just go for a run because yeah. i've got friends right at this very place in time at the moment who have had addictions to their sport and to running and it has come at the cost of stretching relationships or their ability to look in the mirror and love themselves and so it's become very very black and white that unless they can find a healthier place they won't do it but they love it so for them to hear what you just said and say you know what if you love it and you love it enough that you need and want to do it then go and do it and as you do it work on the sense of self in the background as well is that what you're trying to say yeah i think so also definitely to to, to that effect honey like but for it's been kind of a hand in a glove kind of um so i guess my my faith has been restored I, i i'm not i don't belong to any particular religious denomination um, but I do try to trust in the spirit of some of some sort because I um, and, and that's if if I had to rely solely on my mental understanding to get through the rest of my life, I'd be in dismay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, like, yeah. I, um, you know, it's like there's. I, I do believe I've I've acquired some drug and alcohol related brain injuries to some extent. You know, it's like I'm um, I'm not as I don't think I'm as uh, as mm, I don't want to say smart or witty or but the, the closest words I can. You know, I don't. Um, yeah. But 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 you just just something you mentioned flashed me back to as well. You know, it's like s- sport in the eighties. And, and whether it was Aussie Rules or Rugby League or 
you know, but um, sport in the 80s, people still had a day job and they had a day job to support themselves and they played sport, like possibly the Australian cricket team or the Australian rugby team in the 80s, they, they, you know. And they, But now sport's not like that, you know. It's like now to be an elite sportsman and, and to be competitive at the uh, – to be competitive – at the at the sharp end of, of, of world events, like you need to, it has to be a full time job. It is a full time job for athletes, and it has you know? become so, so corporate. You know, yeah. it involves money and opportunity and sponsors and yeah. But, yeah. I, but, I, but when you mention friends who and and for, forgive my wording, it wasn't quite how you were you know, but have run themselves into the ground training or have neglected neglected um, uh, relationships with their loved ones or neglected other, um, I, I believe that would be quite common. You know, it's like for, for, for um, I think a lot of world-class athletes may well be neglecting other areas of their lives because to, 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 get, to, the, to get to the front, it has to be one's primary focus. Well, maybe not, but it would generally... I think in this era, I have to be one's primary focus. Yes, I, I would agree with that with most elite athletes. But I also think that there's there's an element of this in the recreational athlete as well. You know, the ability to race and to participate in sport has just become everywhere. It's because it is becoming a corporate business now. And I'm just finding more and more people are, you know, running or exercising for fear of missing out. And, you know, social media is in your face all the time and you see all your friends doing it and it's just becoming more and more common that I think that people are using sport as a way of trying to keep up to prove themselves to themselves and to seek out opportunities all the time without that downtime. That That's my opinion with it. Yeah. So it is. I think it's a really like it's a really challenging conversation to be having this, but I think it's one that needs to be out there. That we all do sport for our different reasons, and I just want to keep coming back to what you just said earlier. That sport is exciting, and if you love it, then do it. But make sure it's not to the detriment of your own health, well-being, and relationships, and everything else that's important to you in your value system on the side. And I've kind of been talking about this a lot with, with friends of mine and also been doing the internal work because I, I do believe that to master our crafts and to perform at our highest levels, we need to build a very, very strong sense of self underlying that. So I'm kind of curious to, to go forward and talk about a couple of things, one being training, but one also is um, you talked about relying to some degree on, on a faith, on a spiritual belief, but do you also do the mental and psychological work to support your aspirations in sport? <laughs> um, no, I don't. And I'll probably... Um, I love the chuckle. <laughs> it's like yeah, that yeah. naughty schoolboy. Uh, uh, Oops, forgot to do my homework. <laughs> <laughs> for, uh, for a lot of years, oh, a lot of years now, I've only been, I've only been injured six, seven years and I've only been skiing for six years. Um, but I guess for the, at least the last four years, it, it has become apparent to me that if, if I did want, you know, to see a sports psychologist, and it would be, I could benefit from that, you know, um, to, but, uh, and, 
Um, and so please don't get me wrong when I voice this. It's like I, I would love to go to a games and and make the Australian anthem play. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That 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 would be that that would be a, a a wonderful experience. You know, but but I'm a 45 year old man now. I'm not. I'm not like high testosterone, 23, driven, must win, yada yada. You know, it's like I. Uh, I think there's a lot. A lot of people train and race triathlon, and they know they're never going to win, but they enjoy it, and they do it, and they enjoy it, and they have a day job, and you know. And so I think ski racing for me, uh, skiing and ski racing, bobsled racing, um, as much as I would like to get onto the podium. I'm not, it's more important to me, and, and I think, and it must remain that way for me, that, that, that it is more important for me to enjoy the journey hmm. than, than to, um, the, 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 the one, the one winter, North American winter, or, you know, Northern Hemisphere winter, that, that I had national team support, um, it was all very results-based, you know, and the, 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 the I think I ski for me as a sportsman. I I I race better when I don't put pressure on myself. It's like I'm just going to. I just want to enjoy it and do my best and see how that compares to my fellow man, you know. Uh, as opposed to uh, a coach swearing at me and abusing me at the race finish because because I could have done better when I've just put down the best result of my career. <laughs> and yeah. it's like, well. But no, that doesn't work for. Um, and at uh, that uh, point, I would also say me too. You know, I've found that maybe it's entering my thirties and starting to, you know, aspire for other things in my life other than sport and careers and things like that. You know, I also have found that I am a stronger athlete. I'm a much stronger athlete than I ever was in my 20s when I was a bit more narrow in my focus. Um, I find that having having that balance and being more playful and realizing that I'm just out here because I absolutely love it and I want to be here, um, that has made me mm-hmm. so much stronger. And I, I do wonder whether in Australia, whether that aspiration to kind of get to the top at the cost of all else, whether or not that is actually necessary to perform at the elite level. And that's probably contradicting what we were just saying earlier. But I'd love to believe that, you know, as when I hear you saying that, that I can still see you stand on top of a podium and hear that Australian anthem playing in your chosen sport, but knowing that you did it in a really sustainable, holistic way. Just, just you saying that about the ant making the it made my eyes well with joy a little. <laughs> and, not, and not that obviously, you know. Prove it for <laughs> <Yeah>. us. <laughs> it is phenomenal. Yeah, and yeah. I like I personally came back into my orienteering after a three year break. Um, I took a break in two thousand and nine through till two thousand and thirteen because I realised I had reached a place where I wasn't enjoying it and so yeah, three years three years on, I started to develop this question in my head, and it was whilst I was working at the Australian Institute of Sport that it began to to come about. Was I was watching all these athletes, and they were you know really dedicated to their training. They were really motivated. They had a huge amount of support around them. They were thinking holistically from psychology to nutrition to training to um, 
you know, carefully choosing their races and everything else that needed to go into it to, to be an elite athlete. And I looked back at what I used to do and I was like, you know what, that isn't what I used to do. And yes, you know, I was able to get to the top of the dais on a couple of occasions and hear my national anthem played. But I'm not exactly proud of how I got there. And and you talked about enjoying the journey. And I, I don't think I actually enjoyed the journey to those moments. So the question became, could I go back and achieve similar successes or similar um, aspirations, but in a more holistic and sustainable manner? And this isn't an ego I hope ego the answer plug. to that was yes. Yeah, it, it was, to be honest. And that's not an ego plug. That is just a simple statement that I do honestly believe that there is a more balanced and holistic way that can can achieve success. And I just think that it requires people such as yourself who are willing to go down that track to, to prove it to us. <laughs> no pressure at yeah. all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think sport in Australia is, um, is really, really complicated because we, we have this very high... Yeah, well, like the winning edge strategy of these Olympic, Paralympic and Commonwealth Games sports, but then we've also got this incredible boom in this recreational end and um, trail running has been a classic example of that as well. So there's there's a lot of, I think, challenges to, to face in Australian sport. One of the ones that I see as the strongest at the moment, and I don't know where you're at with this, I mean, obviously you're still competing and striving quite strongly in your sport, but... For athletes who are outside of the winning edge model, there's very little opportunity to be supported when you are ready to hang up your shoes and say, I think I'm done. And that's a very emotional time because for a lot of us, like it's been such a part of our life since we were often kids or, you know, yeah. teens growing up and and yeah, I've just negotiated that space and it's been been really tough and I and it's not just elite athletes I think recreational athletes who've been heavily involved in the sport and you mentioned triathlon earlier like where there's been a whole lot of dedication going in on a daily basis to to being fit and healthy and ready to perform at your level whatever that is to then step away from that and learn how to be and I put it in quotation like a normal person I think that's that space is so tough Definitely, but I think whether um whether you're a military man, um, you know, becoming a civilian again, or whether you're a pro footballer who's retired, and a, a lot of people, um, that I, you know, and I can relate. It's like for, um, I didn't think I was a man who snowboarded. Uh, I was a snowboarder, <laughs> you know, and then so so for someone who's been in in involved in a sport for such a long period of time and especially if they've reached the, the, the pinnacle of that sport and then and when they retire um, the the uh, self-identity and like the and I've, I've come across a few articles and maybe it's featured in a movie I watched I'm not sure you know but um, it's quite it's quite common I would imagine uh, you know life after sport yeah it's a, a whole a whole nother chapter. You're right, and I think you raised a really important point that I think for all of us, all of us, in whatever we do, there has to be a distinction between what we do and who we are as people. And I think that was the, the journey, and that's what I meant about that strong sense of self. It's like to be able to come to understand, like, who is Hanny or who is Jason when, when you're not exercising or you're not, you know, like you say, you're um, in the army or you're not, 
you know, at the top of your career. I think that the, to understand who that person is, is is really important, what drives you, what motivates you, what your values are. And that, yeah, I think that's a really exciting space to navigate. Like once you get your head around it, I think that's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But having said that, you know, and I'm not really even sure where I'm at on that topic, Annie, because um, oh, so, so just recently in hospital, and um, for some IV antibiotics, and um, so I, I, I wander in, and it's like, oh, and, and and I'm a cripple, I guess, you know, or especially if I roll in, or if I, I walk in on my prosthetic legs and and wobbling around, and then it it does still appeal when when people once I start conversing with people and they say, oh, what do you do, you know, and it's like, I, I guess I do like the when it's like, oh. I, um, last January, I raced bobsled in Lillehammer and Oberhof and St. Moritz. It's like, oh, really? You do that? You know? and, I, and that's still, I... Okay, um, I hear that. I you know, so, so, that. so oh, as a, oh, you're a crippled pensioner slothing on the Sunshine Coast, and you, you know, or, um, or oh, wow, you, you race downhill? That's exhilarating, you know, or... And not that I actually want to pursue downhill as a discipline anymore i'm a little um but but super g you know i i do like that i i do like that i ski race i do like that i bobsled race yeah but, but I, I don't but think you have to take I, that away i think it's, it's just like it's i'm not, jason who loves to bobsled but you're not i'm not a bobslayer because yeah, the risk it, is if you get too caught in that mentality that if suddenly it's taken away from you for whatever reason yeah then, you know your your world can fall apart and the, and that it, it happens. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. yeah. So, what does Jason do? Like, what do you have to do? I mean, no, go back back a step. So, you, you've obviously been in uh, recovery again. You've had more surgery to hopefully help you to be able to move more freely as an athlete. What will the rehabilitation process look like from now onwards? And what does your training involve to actually do the skeleton and the bobsleigh? <laughs> this is um <laughs> uh, I could I definitely it would benefit me to do a lot more dry land training than what I do um cuz I, I do mainly it would it would benefit me to do a lot more physical rehabilitation than what I do you know um so some of my uh, an old teammate you know he still goes to he's he's in the gym doing dry land training nearly every day um yeah, and he's working, and I think that will benefit him as a stand-up skier, you know, mm. um, as a seated skier, um, as a seated skier, or as a seated bobsled pilot. My respiratory fitness—it's not. I'm not running marathons, you know. It's not. Um, if I was, if I was fitter and stronger, I'm sure it would help, but I'm not sure, really how much more it would help so if that what's the um, do so, you feel like you're performing or have the ability to perform close to your potential at the moment or is there an obstacle between you and where you wish to be when it comes to training yeah no there is a significant obstacle say i guess of um uh, my, my choice to have the osteo integration surgery um it, um, although it's increased my mobility um, as a double above knee amputee prosthetic user, like walking, you know, 
um, and it's for swimming at the beach. It's made it um, easier. Like it's helped a lot of aspects of my life, but it's it has been quite detrimental to my training. Of the like last last summer, I couldn't ski race. I, I, I was still carrying too much pain. Mm. Um, and recovering so and as i sit here uh speaking with yourself i'm in pain you know it's like from the i'm, I'm three weeks post-surgery i've still got staples in um from from the from the neurectomy surgery um and so is all this making you pretty hungry to get back into it um Yes, yeah, it is. But um, but my, my my pain levels have been holding. Even so, I, I didn't ski. Um, <laughs> I've, the the Australian ski seasons um, have been almost a booby prize to me. Every if most years, it was like, oh, my, my primary training is done in North America. I get to mm-hmm. there's five months of the year. I'm on snow at nine o'clock. We uh, have. There's there's uh, some regiment and discipline. Um, we have the, you know the train with a squad there. We we have we have coaches. Um, we do some guided free skiing. We do drills. We run gates. Um, and then the Australian ski seasons. Um, not so not so much formalised training. I get on snow most days. Like on snow five days a week, and do some drills. Do some free skiing. Um, but this not having skied last summer, um, I was really excited about the Australian ski season. It was no longer the, it was no longer the booby prize, or it was no longer the off-season training. It was it was what it was all I had for mm. the for the winter. But being after this uh, osteo integration, and, and prior to the neurectomies that I had a, f- a few weeks ago, um, to be in a ski bucket was really painful. Um, so th- then it kind of um, so even mentally and emotionally, it was a challenge because a sport that generally brings me so much joy and freedom of mobility, um, because when, when I'm skiing, I'm not, I don't feel disabled, you know, mm. it's like I, I even, even on the chairlift, I forget that I look different, you know, and, mm. and, and, and to be, I'm an odd looking creature when I'm in my ski bucket, you know, <laughs> but, um, so to be, at, at times, it's like I'd look at my sit ski, and, and it's like, oh, it's like a torture contraption, <laughs> rather rather than a rather than a tool of joy. That's tough. <laughs> you know? That's really like, yeah, tough. Yeah. yeah. So, but, so having but, physical pain the last uh, fourteen months has been really challenging. Yeah, you know? and, and, and discouraging at times. Um, but I guess I imagine you're yeah, looking there's, there's, forward there's, to the future. And what may be possible going forward? Definitely, you know. And I think it'd be. Um, I'm quite looking forward to when, when, um, when the most recent surgical wounds are healed, um, and to rediscover. Once, don't know how else to word it, but to say when my body reaches its new equilibrium, um, and to see what discomfort I'm left with, and and how much. Because um, physical discomfort had impeded a lot of training over the last twelve months, mm. uh, but there, and there's a bobsled race later this month. In, um, actually, there's one starting next week in Calgary, um, and then there's one. Uh, and I actually had the good, ooh, and, yeah, and uh, um, but I had my accident in Calgary in in 
in Canada. I was uninsured when I was there. I, I'm making payments, but I still owe Interior Health, um, the, the health system in British Columbia, a substantial amount of money for my wow. accident. Um, so I'm not overly, it's touch and go whether or not I can even get into Canada. Um, um, so, so, so the race in Calgary coming up next week, I've kind of voted against, and I would dearly, but there's the following week, like starting on the 28th, there's a race, uh, two bobsled World Cups in Lake Placid that, mm-hmm. that I would like to attend. Um, but the facts are I need more time to recover from the most recent surgery, you know, and then, but I still, so I haven't booked, I haven't booked airfares yet, but I'm still part of me, you know, and then I swing between the acceptance of you're not race fit just 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 sit tight and 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 do what you can to mm, it's not over yet it's like i can i'll see how i feel in one more week maybe the pain will subside maybe i can go <laughs> mm. yeah. gee it's tough and and i think there'd be many athletes and listeners who have experienced their own forms of injuries who are sitting here listening to that and just going you're always just waiting for that opportunity to to lace back on the shoes or to to jump back on the slopes and to get back out there um we so we do all wish you you know all the best in your recovery and to hopefully see you standing high up there and and enjoying your sport and striving and succeeding what you want to get out of it jason so i guess just to to finish up what do you think is the greatest opportunity going forwards for Jason? Oh, the greatest opportunity for me. Um, damn, I'm sorry, honey. I have I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Maybe maybe that's the correct um, answer. Yeah, you know, it's like, um, and I think like. I, I am a winter sports enthusiast, you know. It's like I was. Um, my dad was an Aust- was Austrian-born man. They, he came out with his family as a youngster after the Second World War, and uh, I was a five-day year skier from a young age. Um, and then, and I think it's quite common for people to want what they can't have, you know. So I, I grew up in Queensland and I skied five <laughs> days. A year. And then, and then when I and then I when I left school, you know, not long after, I worked a bunch of ski seasons in my late teens and early twenties to try and support my ski ski and snowboard habit. Um, but I think, um, like I love, I, I love seated alpine ski racing. I love driving bobsled. Um, para ice hockey is, is starting to um there's been a few come and try days like the um um sled hockey starting to to um ski uh, sled hockey starting to develop here here in australia um mm-hmm. still quite infancy stage um and, and i like the idea of ski racing racing bobsled and and sled hockey you know and then i think maybe to get to the top of the maybe to get to the top of the heap in any event and some most would say oh you need to focus on just one if you know um yeah but, I, 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 but I'd, I'd love to be able to like why can't i do all three why can't i play sled hockey and drive bobsled and and ski race you know it, the, uh, uh, and, I, and as long as i'm making him when i first started uh, i learned to ski in the January of 2012, and then in the February of 2012, the the the, the 
the coach because uh, there was an alpine team in the in in the group. She's like, oh, when are you going to join the alpine team? I say, oh, I don't know. When you think I'm ready to race? And she's like, well, I think you're ready to race now. Why don't you? you know? And and I didn't know that I wanted to be a ski racer at that time. I just thought ski racing, like training for ski racing, would improve my skiing. <laughs> you know. And then and then I thought, and then it's like, oh, I like ski racing. Oh no, my my prime, my next achievement is I'd like to get national team support. And then and then I experienced that one time, and that wasn't what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> and then um. So, so, um, oh, I must forgot where I was going. So, um, is what you're, I, I'm, no, I'm following this. So, is but, so, what you're but, trying to say, you're trying to, you, you just take opportunities as they come. You put yourself in the place where yeah. you're the best athlete or the best person that you can be, and you just are loving it and you just grab the opportunities. Is that right? As, as long as, so c- c- competitively, as long as I'm improving, I want to stick at it. You know, because it's like uh, I, I don't I don't need to be the best tomorrow. Uh, I I just uh, and um, but as long as long as if my race results are improving, I want to keep going because I don't know how. Uh, well, if it plateaus and I stop improving, yeah, maybe let it go and just do it socially. But but whilst but whilst I'm still getting whilst there's still improvement, uh, who knows where it is? You know. Love it, and, and I like that approach more so than this is my sole focus. I must train every, you know, like that kind of regimented, robotic, uh, pressure field must perform approach, which mm-hmm. obviously yeah. does get results for some people, but that's not how I want to live my life. I think that is the most fabulous place to end because it's resonating super strong with me, not just in sport but in life in general, that whilst you're seeing the results from the little actions you're taking daily, then just keep at it if that's what you love. So, Jason, today has been um, raw, honest, uh, incredibly interesting conversation for me and I'm really glad that we were able to discuss some of the challenges that we've both faced and I'm really grateful that you know you have been so open with us in in today's conversation how would Uh, how can we as listeners support Jason to achieve what he wants to achieve oh if if any of the listeners would like to I guess I do have a fundraising campaign with the Australian Sports Foundation up and running at the moment and um, and and donations are tax deductible. Um, I don't know if it's just as easy as a Google search for Jason well, Sawyer Australian yeah. Sports Foundation, but there is a link, and there's a link on my Facebook page, on my Facebook athlete page to the, because um, it is financial concerns now that, that are, you know the a, a lot of the races for bobsled are in Europe. You know it's like this four weeks of tra- of racing in Europe. Um, and even for ski, you know, for ski racing, I have to temporarily relocate to the Northern, the Northern Hemisphere to, yeah. to train and compete. Well, I'll definitely put some links, Jason, through to your Facebook page and also through to the fundraising pages on the show notes for today on our website. Um, I think it's a wonderful thing that you're doing. I think you're really changing lives and inspiring many people. And I, I love the fact that you are so driven to help others and to share with them what you've been able to experience through your own sport and your own life. So thank you for today, and um, we wish you all the best. Thank you, Hanny. It's been a, it's been lovely to speak with you. Thanks, Jason. Bye.